podcast deals with themes, languages, and situations that may not be suitable for young audiences. If you're under the age of 18, parental guidance isn't going to help you here. I forgot to unmute myself and welcome to the Now Open podcast, the sex education podcast that's more sex than education. I'm Trisha. My name is Kai. And as you may have noticed, we are missing a very essential third but don't worry um he's not gone he'll be in the comments making papans in there so make sure to notice him so he doesn't get sad uh hi jabim so uh kai how was your weekend my weekend was so chill i was hanging out with my sister and my cousin saw some friends super chill super chill how was yours uh, I spent most of it playing video games, so also incredibly super chill. Um, it was a good weekend, my first real break since right. the chaos of 2021 started, so that was awesome. Um, to Hello to all of our customers uh, who are already tuning in right now. Uh, we only have one comment so far, that's Zar, who says, present. Hello, <laughs> little girl. <laughs> Always present. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh Make sure to leave a comment so we can say hi and, um, you know, we can talk about what we're going to have to talk about later. But before that, we want to talk about things that are happening today around us because the conversations that we're having are not happening in a vacuum. So right. um, it's really important to, to see how the world's progressing and, you know, talk about what we need to do to make it slightly better. So this is a semi-new segment that we'd like to call The Newsstand. So recently, I found this op-ed article in The Atlantic called I'm, I've, been, I've Been Secret Friends with My Son's Ex for 30 Years. And it's in, their, it's in their segment called The Friendship Files. And it's super cute because it basically talks about how this woman and her ex's mother the relationship just kind of blossomed and evolved through the years. And it's for me, it's challenged a lot of my assumptions because, you know, like being Filipino and being Filipino culture, it's very, it's very odd to think that my mother is not like on my corner and is more like on my ex's corner. Like that's such a weird dynamic for me, but it's so interesting having read the article. It talks about how... Um, the, the younger woman, the, the, the son's ex, was like, I used to go to, um, the mom's name is Karen. So um, she, she used to go to Karen's, yeah, her name's literally Karen. She used to go to Karen's house to do her laundry, trying to be like the perfect, like, you know, um, daughter-in-law. And then later on, parang in life, Karen started going to Allison's kids and started to like take them out to lunch and started taking them on adventures. And then parang she used to, Allison wanted to learn from Karen, all these things. And then later on in life, it was, it was Karen learning from Allison. So it was really just such a cute, like how 
such a cute little story how this story came full circle. You know, it was super cute. Just different yeah. dynamics and friendship. Yeah. My my main question is, so she's secretly best friends with her son's ex. So her son has absolutely no clue. No, no, not at all. And even in the article, it says like, what if he Googles you and finds this article? And then the mom was like, no, he won't. And she goes like, my son's kind of a jackass anyway. And I'm like, oh, some oh, shit like that. No. Yeah, dude. So it sounded pretty estranged. But like, you know, it was, it was her, her relationship with her son sounded estranged. But she seemed to kind of adopt herself into like Allison's family. It was pretty cute, like just how everything went down, you know? So, yeah, yeah definitely. So, um, I don't know how to transition this bit, but I'm going to talk about uh, the news bit that Jobim was supposed to share on the show tonight. Hello, Jobim. Um, he says, miss you. I'm here. I'm here, but not in face. So, um, on behalf of Jobim, I'm here to share the news bit that he prepared. I'm sorry if I bungle this. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, according to a news article from December of last year, it looks like the Philippines is finally about to raise the age of consent. So, this is definitely a victory uh, for survivors everywhere because, uh, for those who aren't aware, currently the age of consent in the Philippines is 12 years old, one of the lowest in the entire world. So... Uh, lawmakers are taking steps to make sure to raise it, I think, to 16, which is around the same age in most of the world, like in Europe and in uh, a lot of places in the United States. So um, still not a total victory yet. Uh, it's still in the works, but hopefully they'll be able to raise that by 2021 this year. Incremental victories, incremental in victories. Incremental you know? victories. Uh, we actually talked about the age of consent in a previous episode on pedophilia. Uh, I think it's mm -hmm. episode seven. So if you want to listen in on that, uh, you can catch that on Spotify, YouTube, of course, Facebook, and wherever else you get your podcasts. All right. So uh, that's it for our news bits for today. Uh, but this is the part of the podcast where um, I want to promote local artists, fellow people hustling, especially in the time of the pandemic. For today's uh, creator feature, we have Spicy Candy PH. You can get custom press on nails from spicycandy.ph on Instagram. So make sure to check that out. Actually, the owner of Spicy Candy is super sweet. She messaged me on Twitter, um, said some really nice things. And then I felt like I had to promote her because she's like, so, so sweet. And her nails uh, that she creates on her Instagram are beautiful. I don't I will them. check that out. Maybe I should use them because I'm a chronic nail biter. Um, so my nails look terrible. So maybe I'll get from Spicy Candy. So, hey, she yeah. in the comments. Is that oh, she's in the comments. She Hi. Goes, Hi. Okay, so everyone, make sure to check out Kimmy's shop on Instagram. If you want to promote your content on our uh, vidcast, just drop us a line. You can DM me on Twitter. You can message us here. Um, and we'll promote your stuff on the podcast. Okay, so uh, now let's really get into what we're here for tonight. Uh, we're here to talk about a topic that's... I I can't believe we're still talking about this, honestly, because this is, this has been a huge problem for the longest time. And it just seems like 
after the Me Too movement, it's not necessarily getting better, but maybe it's like becoming more underground. Maybe these people are getting better at hiding it. So uh, tonight we're going to talk about what to do if someone in your social circle is a rapist, sexual harasser, um, sexual offender, or has uh, sexually assaulted somebody else. So this is where I want to drop the trigger warnings, content warnings. If this is a topic that's pretty sensitive to you, um, you may want to tune out or you may want to lower the volume or, you know, prepare yourself for um, some in-depth discussions we're going to have. And with that, I want to introduce the uh, guests that we have for today. And I want to say super thank you to these two people who agreed to come on the show. It's a a heavy and important topic, so we're really honored to have them on. First, we have Marco Samayo, who is the co-creator of Deus Ex Machina, a live comedy erotica show. Uh, Make sure to check them out on Facebook. Hello, Marco. Thanks for having me, y'all. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. And of course, we have, uh, and this is how she wanted me to introduce her. She designs for a living and is a mother of two guinea pigs. Uh, We have Patch Ortega. Hello, Patch. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. So um, I kind of want to start the discussion off with something uh, very direct. What experiences have you both had um, with people in your social circle being, frankly, terrible people. Uh, Marco, do you want to go first? <laughs> so my experience actually started with Trisha. <laughs> so it was around 17, October 2017, the, the, the month that the Me Too movement started. And the Philippines was just hitting its first wave of stories. So Trisha messaged me. And she sent me a link to a Me Too story. And she goes, hey, I think this is about your friend. So the first thing I did actually was ask the friend if, if it was, in fact, about him. And if I remember, I, his first words to me were, yes, uh, I, I take full responsibility for everything that is in that post. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it right. So I, I took his word for it. I chastised him because this was a friend who actually knew more about feminist theory than I did. And he was very vocal about women's rights. So for him to violate someone while they were unconscious was just mind-blowing to me. So we had our little talk. And then... Things were okay. I, I, I told him that I didn't stand by anything he did, but I will stand by his recovery. Um, I, I told him to get therapy, to make amends with the person he hurt, all that good stuff. But then a week later, he messages me, and then he tells me, like, he's been talking to some people, and they don't think he did something as wrong as the story put it. He started changing some of the details. And one major detail that he changed was that he told me he only read the Me Too story a week after he, he confessed to it. So I checked with Trisha. I was like, hey, did, did this guy tell you that he read the, uh, the story or not? And Trisha showed me a screen cap with him saying he read the story. So, turns out this guy has started lying to me, 
um, trying his best to soften the impact of his offense. It was at that point I realized that he didn't trust me enough to help him through this, to help him make amends, get better, stop hurting people. So that was when I stopped talking to him as well. It was it was really difficult. It felt like a breakup. I, I had difficulty getting out of bed for like a month because it was such a powerful betrayal. I was very close with this person. He lied to me and he hurt people. Then as, as soon as I thought things were going to get better, more people started coming forward to me. Other friends of mine that he hurt. And this kept going on for about a year. I, I couldn't move away from that story. Um, by my count, he had either assaulted or coerced at least six personal friends of ours into sexual acts they weren't okay with. Some of them were molested. Some of them were made to do things they didn't want to. And it just made me feel even worse because all of these things were done while we were preaching sex positivity together. It was extremely painful. And it made me realize that, you know, nothing I could have done would have helped him get better. So what happened was I just eventually made an appeal to the friends that he still had, the friends he didn't lose from the offense. And I asked them to hold him accountable and to never let him let it go. I don't know what happened after that. We lost contact with those friends as well because uh, after a few years, well, he was painting me as the um, unreasonable one, you know? And that's where we're at now. Um, I learned a lot about how important it is to stand by victims, to hold your friends accountable. Also, I learned that something like this affects relationships outside of the two of you. It affects your relationships with your common friends. It affects your relationships with acquaintances. Man, the guy was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that with us, Marco. I guess it's like really a masterclass on how if somebody doesn't want to help themselves and somebody doesn't want to improve, then interventions from friends, no matter how often um, and how well-intentioned, just really fly over their head. That's true. Like, you know, you can't really force someone to change. It really has to be their own initiative and they have to want it themselves. For them to actually change what I figured out. Yeah, it was just difficult to accept that, um, you know, you couldn't be the one to help your friend get better. Right. Because there's always right. that part of you that, like, has that optimism. And then for them to lie, to change the story with you, to actively try to get away from trying to get better, it just eats at mm. you. Yeah. And, yeah kills the optimism well at least um although i doubt he's faced any legal consequences um there were still some social consequences uh we can't force police to prosecute and it's often really difficult to prosecute but the best that we can do 
um, is hold people accountable and make them know that they can't do things without consequences. They will lose friends. The unfortunate part of that is if he's entered an echo chamber of people mm. who support him unconditionally. But I really hope that they're pulling up their end as well and doing the work behind the scenes. I hope so for his sake and, and for women around the world. I hope so. <laughs> Same. Same. Okay, Patch, uh, do you want to share what your experience is with um, people who are enabling uh, these terrible people? Well, it's actually a part of my story <laughs> because uh, he, his circle, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to calm myself down. Thank you for having me here. But yeah, <laughs> this is a very sensitive topic when you, when you experience firsthand. Uh, yeah, so basically when I learned the incident that happened, it was, she was becoming our friend and we were hanging out. And then one time uh, he was acting weird that day. And then this, our friend, that, that the girl, she, they messaged me and they told me the screenshots and everything that something happened last night. Something happened and he wanted to hide it. He wanted to hide it. He wanted to oh, it's our fault. It's our fault. And I mean, at first I was so confused at who, on who to believe in because I was raped um, back in 2019. And when I told him that, he cried with me. So thinking that he already knew that information, knew how much, how big this thing is for me. How do you like let yourself person you love like you treated like your world turned into the person who kind of ruined your life so that was very hard for me to accept and then yeah when I my friends I told my friends about it and then they outed him as a maniac and then she what do you call this because I finally learned both sides of the story and it was clearly like harassment it was him being a predator he can drive she can't she was so drunk and yeah um basically when they outed him my friends outed him people were coming to my some of my friends and then me like about their experience with my ex 20 girls 20 fucking girls it still haunts me until now <laughs> like some are still like telling me messages so as a rape victim and like it's it's so hard to keep quiet. It's for me, it's so hard to keep quiet because I, I don't know how to process it because these experiences were not mine. We're still theirs. I had my fair, my fair share and I couldn't like turn them away because I know it, it should be good for my mental health. But at the same time, I know what it's like to feel like people aren't going to believe you. And the fact that they messaged me privately instead of calling him out for it, that means something. Like, why would you send his ex like this experience? So yeah, and a lot of stories for adding up. I had enough and took it out on Twitter. And one of his friends like messaged me and said, hey, I know I'm coming as a friend of blank, but this is too much. And that kicked me off a bit because I'm good friends with this person. Like it's a mutual friend. And that ticked me off because every time, like whenever I hear that this is a bit much, no, a bit much is... When I told him that I was sexually assaulted before, five days after, 
he went on a party with his friends on my birthday. <laughs> when I like a bit much, 17 girls that time told me their stories and everything adds up and everything is just one story almost. Like it has one plot. Like he was drunk. He didn't know what he was doing. So yeah, and then at first, I, I really lashed out on her, like the friend who told me that it was a bit much. And okay, so, somewhere off the belt. And I apologize because I felt like, because it triggered me so much that I spewed words that weren't really good. But then again, when I had a sit down with my mom and she told me, Anak, like, his friends are still going to be his friends. Your friends' exes are not your friends. They can be with you because it's the basic human thing to do, to comfort you. But they're not gonna like always side on you because their main, like, you know, it's this, it's her ex. That's the, and that was a too big of a pill to move because I really loved hanging out with these people. Turning point of my fucking life right now is that I cut them off because no matter how nice they are, they still remind me of my ex and what he did, everything he did. And it shouldn't be my responsibility. And maybe they can, you know, I only hope that, that they just give him shit. They just like tell, they just give him shit and know that it, he's very accountable for this and he's going to face consequences every day. And never to never, ever silence the victims whenever they speak up. Because, yeah, that's pretty triggering. So, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Oh, no. Don't apologize. Really sorry. Uh, <laughs> we asked you on this show to, to share your experiences because it is an, an unfortunate truth that so many people have similar experiences. You're helping to give voice to uh, a lot of these people and really show how it affects um, you as a survivor, but also like the relationships that you have with other people. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you. Okay, so uh, we want to give um, a huge thanks to the guests for sharing the experiences. Uh, and we also want to give everyone a little bit time to kind of digest that information. So we'll be taking a really, really quick break from the discussion. Uh, but we'll still be... Uh, we'll... We'll take a quick break from the discussion to do a new segment that we're trying to incorporate here. So we know that while we do cover a lot of things in depth in our episodes that you still may have like really pressing questions that you want answered soon. So we're going to open this new thing called Ask Now Open, which is um, basically you can share with us your anonymous confessions or if you have a question that you'd like us to answer then um, you can funnel it through Ask Now Open. I'll leave a link in the comments to where you can ask us questions. I made an anonymous Google form. For today, we have a question from uh, an anonymous writer who has a question about how to deal with family and coming out. So uh, guess if you have any experiences with this, feel free to chime in. Anonymous writer writes, I never really had problems accepting my sexuality when I discovered I'm bi. My dad, on the other hand, was clear na kaya niya lang akong tanggapin if I only dated guys and looked feminine. So basically, conditional acceptance ni sa akin as long as I'm straight passing. It's been six months since I came out and we haven't talked since. So that is 
uh, the dilemma that one of our listeners is facing. So, uh, Kai, I know you've had some experiences with friction with your family after coming right. out. Right. Uh, especially because you dated men in the past. So do you have any insight um, here? Yeah. Um, that is a tough one. Like that is, it's always a tough story. It's always, a, it's always a tough experience having to come out because the thing is, it's not a one-time thing. Eh? You know, like coming out is something that, yeah, you, you, you say it finally, but multiple times in your life, it happens that you have to like kind of reaffirm and re, re stay strong in what, who you are. Right? But one thing I learned in terms of coming out, at least in my experience, is that as much as it's a process for me, it's also a process for the people around me. For example, when I, with my, well, even with my friends, when I first came out to my friends, way back when, like way back when, I remember I asked a friend of mine, like, why is it always that, why is it always that when men are gay, it's okay, but with women, like other women, it's not. And she tells me, like, you know, it's because gay is normal, but a gay woman is not. And we were, like, we were, we were so young at the time. You know, we were so young at the time. But, you know, eventually in time, like, it's a process for everyone is what I learned. Na parang, as much as it's, 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 it's a process for us and as much as, like, you know how when at one point we would, we would believe certain things and later on in life we end up learning new things that open up our minds and under, we end up learning to understand and learn. We end up learning to really, like, accept and we learn to see things differently. And, you know, for people of other generations, of different generations, especially, like, fucking boomers, um, you know, like, there's a, there's a learning curve to it, I believe. And I'm not saying that nah, at one point it's going to be amazing or at one point it's going to be bad. To be honest, we don't know what's going to happen. But what I can say is that everyone is going through a process. And sometimes, like I said earlier in the podcast, it's incremental change. It's always incremental change. Sometimes, like, and I was talking about this with a friend just a few weeks ago, now, sometimes we can't take what's premium right away. Sometimes we take it in bits and doses, you know? And eventually, we make out our, we make out our own path and we learn to accept what we used to not. And we learn to see that some people may have more capacity to change. Either way, it's a process for everyone. Yeah, I totally agree. So um, I saw a tweet by Jason Liwag, who actually guested on the podcast a few episodes ago. 18, I'm going to guess, where we talked about Philippine queer cinema. He tweeted um, where... I'm not going to list this verbatim because it's in Tagalog and I can't remember exactly what he said. But it was basically like, it took me a long time to accept my sexuality. Why would I accept... Why would I expect my parents or people around me to be super quick. So in this particular case, it didn't take much for you to accept your sexuality. I relate to this because by the time I realized I was into women, I was very young and I just kind of like, okay, this is what's happening. And uh, everyone around me was also into women because I went to an all girls school. So I already had a support system socially. Uh, But obviously the home situation was slightly different with my mom who is extremely religious and was very resistant to the idea to the point of almost throwing me out. But uh, we're here a decade later and my mom loves my girlfriend probably more than anyone I've ever dated. And it's not super fixed between me and my mom, but I saw how she took her time 
to kind of understand that uh, despite your sexuality, it might sound terrible, but despite your sexuality, you're still the same daughter that I raised and love and you're exactly the same person and you're thriving. So what point is there in criticizing your choices? So I think my main advice would be to, you know, feel your feelings. It's a tough situation. And then do what you have to do to survive. You know, get a job, um, move out of your house, do what you need to do to make the situation better for you if you can, if you have the privilege of doing so. And hopefully one day with enough time and uh, a lot of stubborn talks with your family, then you'll get there. It, you have to just chip away at that hard exterior. But I, I really have hope for all LGBTQ people whose families don't accept them, that one day, eventually their family will. And if not, you can find a chosen family. You can find your own family, build a community around yourself that loves and, support, uh, loves and supports you and you know, only wants the best for you. So I hope that helped, anonymous writer. Uh, and if you want us to read your confessions or if you want to ask us a question that we can cover on air, make sure to check out the form. I dropped it in the links. But for now, let's get back to what we're here for. We're talking about help. My friend's a rapist. Basically, what should you do if somebody in your friend group has harassed or assaulted somebody else? So... Prior to this, we had our lovely guests, Patch and Marco, share their experiences with us. Again, thank you so thank much you for so much. us with uh, all of that. So now let's really talk about how we can change this situation or what people should do to make sure that this doesn't happen anymore. What is the danger if you don't call out your friend? Let's say you know that your friend has done some terrible things to women or anybody else. What is the danger in not calling it out? Um, it usually starts with the small stuff. How they would rape women, how they would label women, like, oh, women or chicks. Gonna... It starts with that. It always starts with small stuff. Mm-mm. And it, the small stuff becomes like a big thing afterwards. Like you wouldn't even notice. A little, like smallest things come a long way because they would think that it's all right. If you don't call your friends out, you're perpetuating the behavior. It, it snowballs. It starts with talking weirdly about women behind their back or out of earshot. And then eventually that entitlement builds. And I feel like we can go farther in the sense that little things start, like not just in the friend group, but also in the ways they are raised and in the ways that they are taught by in the household. You know, little things like allowing boys to run and play and do their thing, but like not allowing girls to go out and um, kailangan 18, pakabalang mag- magkaka-girlfriend, pero pag batang lalaki, may little girlfriend na siya sa kindergarten. You know? Like, I feel as though Patch is right in the sense na little things really do go a very long way. We have a question from Joe Bim. How did you deal with the potential backlash from your friends when calling out abusers in your circle? Uh, I think not caring and knowing what you stand for is a big priority because they already diminished the boundaries that they were that was set. Like all they had to do was not like tell over the victims. That's the one thing you don't do 
<laughs> when dealing with this and also just making sure that your friend doesn't do it again. It's not your priority. I, I mean, it's not your responsibility totally, but still, because it's still on them. You should like make them seek out therapy and make sure that it happens because yeah, the backlash can be kind of rough, but that's how it works. <laughs> and I guess just knowing your boundaries and what that is. Right. Marco, I know you have some experience with backlash. Yeah, so in my experience, um, it was a lot of trying to remember that every single one of the people in your um, friends group is human and they will have their major reactions. They will dismiss certain stories. They will try to stand by the abuser. But if you know your friends well enough, you'll know which ones are the knee-jerk reactions and which ones are just really off. Sorry, it's just that I get it. Like, people are human. People make mistakes. I get it. But there's a a level of (laughs) fucked upness that we could only handle. Like, if you fucking, like, inflict trauma on women, like, how does Mm -hmm. that make him problematic? That's not problematic. Mm -hmm. That's totally fucked up. And that shouldn't be... You know, yeah, I agree with you, and I was getting to that because, um, in my case, there were people who were trying to jump through mental hoops, trying to lessen the offense of my former friend, and those are the people I realized you couldn't get through to. Those are the people who weren't willing to listen to the side of the victim, and you know, there's not much else you can do except let those people. I would try early on to convince them otherwise, to let them accept the truth of my former friend's offense. But I don't know, there's really just no getting through to people. And if you're anything like me, you learn to let those people go. It hurts because in my case, we were friends for nearly a decade. But then those are people who would stand by somebody who not only was a serial sex offender, but he was attacking women that they knew. If you stand by someone like that, what does that say to your other friends, the ones he hurt? What does that say about how you value their feelings? You can't stand by somebody who violated so many women doesn't seem to have any remorse for what he does. You can be angry at the people who do stand by him. You can do your best to understand why they would stand by him. It's your every prerogative not to agree and to condemn that delusional aspect of it. Because an asshole is an asshole. A monster is a monster. There's no getting around it. People need to accept that. I do understand where the resistance comes from, where it's like, oh, if I have a friend like this in my friend group, it says something about me. So a lot of the time they'll either deny it, pretend it doesn't exist, um, downplay the effects. Oh, it wasn't that bad, you know, because they have this they've pledged their loyalty to this person. And it is very difficult work to cut them off. It's difficult work to make a change. And a lot of people aren't ready to take on that work and to admit that maybe in this case, 
this person wasn't the best person to pledge your loyalty to. And that takes a lot of self-reflection that many people aren't willing to take on. People are because, afraid to admit that they're coddling a rapist. Exactly. Especially um, when it's your acquaintance, uh, he's usually dubbed as the nice guy. It's so hard when he made this whole image that, oh yeah, I fucking know feminism. Oh yeah, I fucking know sex positivity. Oh yeah, like I, I'm pretty woke. It all ends up that you are exactly the same person that you're talking shit about. What the fuck? <laughs> like you would hope they knew better. Mm-hmm. I remember actually saying that to that guy. I, I said... I thought you would know better. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, sorry, Kai, go ahead. So in line with like, you know, um, with dealing with potential backlash from your friends and when, when you call out abusers in your circle, is there like, is there a correct way to call out an abuser? In your experience and in your opinion, like, what is there a correct way to do it? For me... As long as you don't have a gun to their head, I guess there's no like wrong way to call to call them out to like confront them. Like, hey, I saw this. Uh, wh- what the fuck is this true? And yeah, if they acknowledge and if they acknowledge that it's true, of course, it would be a big surprise to you. It would ruin your work because this is your friend. But also. Um, you have to accept it and make just make sure that he's gonna become a better person. Just hope for the best. But yeah, I, I don't think there's a wrong way to confront it. You should confront it. These are the things that these are the difficult conversations that you should have with your friends if they're really your friends. I agree, but I'd also like to add that um, if you're gonna do like call out, do it however feels right to you. But at the same time, I think you need to keep the person who was hurt in mind because some people want to keep private. Some people want to go public. You have to respect that person's wishes because they right. were the ones hurt. Yes. Don't turn, don't, don't take ownership of their anger. Don't take ownership of their pain. It's theirs. So you have to respect what they want to do. If they want to go all out like public shaming that's their prerogative mm-hmm. and you can follow suit if they'd like to keep it private then you keep it within your circles yeah. i mean and there's a reason they they make their choices it's how they manage their own pain i think and i think uh, we should respect that yeah and the way i like handled when the girls came up to me is mm-hmm. i I check up on it and like, I'm sorry, it's happened to you. This is so shitty. And I actually gave them my therapist phone number <laughs> and, and made sure like, are you okay? Um, if you want to talk about this anytime, just like message me and I would, we can talk about it in the, in the most like drastic sense. If you want, you can shout, you can anything because the important thing is their voice. They just want to be heard and they just want to be acknowledged that this traumatic thing happened to me and I want you to know this and that I wish that I'm not alone in this in some sense. Right, 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 right. In relation to that, I wanted to ask about this. Um, I want to ask what you guys think about this statement. So there's this article 
called Confronting a Rapist, Don't Give Him the Power Over Your Healing by Joey Garcia. And a statement of hers in the article goes, I would think that the confronter might be seeking closure and doesn't yet understand how to best accomplish it. In movies and fiction, a confronter feels empowered after confronting her rapist. This is not the norm in real life. More often than not, a confronter does not experience the closure that she seeks. That is because the act of seeking closure from a rapist gives the rapist power over the confronter's healing. For closure to work, the confronter cannot believe the rapist has something to give her. So, friends confronting a rapist or a survivor confronting the rapist. Do we, what do you think about this statement? Um, well, I can share a particular story, I suppose. A few years, no, not, just, not just a few years ago anymore. It was like six years ago or something like that. A person I was dating uh, had raped me. And he was also terrible in many other respects. And uh, to anyone listening who may know my romantic history, no, it is not the ex that everyone knows about. Uh, this is an ex that nobody knows about, I think, <laughs> except for my close friends at the time. But that happened. And there were so many other things that happened in that relationship. And it was all pretty bad. And I spent years thinking about what I would do and what I would say if I could actually confront him. You know, the, the, the conversations that you have in your head. Yeah. Uh, imaginary conversations that get you really angry. So I had many of those about this guy. And I actually got my day of reckoning. I did. I was able to confront him. He messaged me last year or something or two years ago before the pandemic and uh, asked for closure or some some something. I don't know, which was really weird because I hadn't talked to him in several years. But I thought this is the best time for me to get out everything. Um, and one of the issues he wanted to talk about was the fact that I constantly referred to him as the dude who raped me on Twitter and he wanted me to stop mess. Uh, he wanted me to stop doing that. And I was like, tough shit. Uh, <laughs> that's what happened. So I'm going to keep doing that. I'm never going to name you. This hasn't affected you in any real way because I've never identified you. So tough shit. Um, <laughs> I, I was able to say everything I wanted to say to him. I verbalized to him, you raped me, point blank. No and ifs or buts, that's what happened. And I got the apology and it seemed sincere and all. And I realized after that conversation that I didn't need his apology. I was okay because, not because I had confronted him, but because through the years of work I had done, I knew that, I no longer needed any of that from him. I had grown past right. it and his sorries meant nothing to me. Right. It was nice to have. It was a nice bonus, but it didn't change how I felt about anything after. I just right. felt more sure that, you know, I did the work. I did the work and I was very proud of myself for having done the work. So right. if confronting the person who hurt you helps you, honestly, do what you need to do. Right. Just... In my personal experience, it was a lot more satisfying when I knew I didn't need it. Right. Like, I also, like, in my experience, for example, like, my, my ex, who Trisha really, really hates, um, so this ex of mine also raped me. The day after, I told her, I was like, last night, what happened was rape. And she goes, how dare you call me a rapist? How dare you say that to me? And I told her, like, yes, I know I gave you consent before I was drunk. But when I was drunk, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And you still 
he took advantage of me. And she would constantly tell me, like, no, how dare you say this? How dare you say this? And, you know, I still struggle with it and to this day. And, you know, parang, there are still moments where I play those scenarios in my head where I'm like, I want to tell you straight up, like, you were never changing this about you. This is something I hate about you. And, you know, like, there, there I have my good days where it's like, I don't give a fuck about you. I'm done with this shit. But there are my bad days where it's like I would be meditating, trying to just like let go. And I end up bawling my eyes out like, ah! You know, like there. And I think, as I said earlier in the podcast, like it's also a process, at least for me, where it's like, and I realize that letting go of something isn't necessarily so about forgetting that it happened. I think letting go is like akin to what Trisha said, where it's like, you reframe the situation in such a way that you don't need it. You don't need them to say, to, to say it to you. You know what I mean? And I, I, I am trying to work to get there. Because like, you know, um, when I was reading that article, what I was saying earlier, that article I was reading and I was saying like, what do you guys think about this? Because personally, what I think about it is that I agree with it. Like I, what I want is that, I want her to admit to me that like, I, I fucked up. I, I, I messed up. I raped you. I, I did all of this. But... You know, like, at the same time, it's like thinking about it. These are all happening in my head, but when I get there, will it actually happen, you know? And that's something was, I'm trying to learn. To it was just, very anticlimactic. Like, just say that you did it. Just say that you did it. And then right. when you did it, yeah, I did it. And then, okay, well, my world my world dropped. <laughs> You're a shitty person. Right, right, right. <laughs> and you'll never get, uh, for my, in my experience, I don't think I'll ever get closure yeah there's acceptance but there's still like no closure with acceptance i don't know if there is some psychological term with that but yeah it all ends up that you have to live with it that was an experience for you you have to live with it for the rest of your life and it's just gonna be there and they can like start a new life they can you know have a family they can do whatever they want that's why i don't believe cancel culture is fucking real they can still do that and as a victim all i could think of do they still think of what they did? Because, you know, that still comes back. Mm-mm. Actually, uh, in line with cancel culture, we have a comment here from customer Carlo. I'm trying to show it on the podcast, but it's not letting me. So I'm just going to, there we go. So uh, he says, I feel like we should also be encouraging victims to press charges. Abusers need to be held accountable legally, not just called out. So this is a really interesting conversation because, yeah, if you have a friend that you know has done things because women have told you or you've seen it yourself, is this something that they should do? They should talk to the victims or survivors and tell them, hey, press charges. Mm-mm. What, what do, do you guys th- think about that? I don't trust cops <laughs> or the justice system. <laughs> There's that, yeah. And lawyers are very expensive. They are expensive. They are expensive. I have experience with this. Um, when I told my when I told my family what my ex did to me, they filed a lawsuit. And at the time, I was in some like Stockholm syndrome type of situation where I was protecting her while the case was going on because I was still in love with my abuser and it was like oh my god I don't want him to hurt you but also you hurt me so what do I do and it was so it was just it was this messy little situation for me because like for me it was like I wanted so bad for her to get the consequences but also like what what Mark was saying earlier 
just like the experience of the victim na when you're like constantly being asked what happened to you what 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 happened that night can you detail to me what happened that night also the, all of the shit you have to read through it side through it and it just keeps bringing back the fact that this fucking happened and you know yeah let's charge this person legally the experience of going through courts the experience of having to recount the incident constantly the experience of having to maybe one day have to confront your 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 abuser in court again like all of this th- all of these things happening yeah let's charge them at the same time there's so much emotional weight that goes into it at least at my experience and i don't trust cops we don't trust cops I remember a really good Joy Barrios poem uh, where basically uh, there's a person who was raped to present the evidence and the second rape really happens at court because people are going to try mm. to discredit you. They're going to try to, you know, call you a slut. They're going to point to your sexual history and all these really terribly unnecessary and harmful things that do not excuse the rape in any way, but somehow do legally for some reason. And that is a really terrible experience to go through as a survivor because you've already gone through hell once and you're going to be reliving that hell for the rest of your life. And now you have to do it and, you know, protect yourself in front of everybody just to get this course case pursued. So I think maybe um, pushing the survivors to take legal action isn't the best course because somebody who isn't 100% into... Uh, charging their rapist is not going to want to go through all of that. And you have to be absolutely ready for that. But how do you feel about pushing the survivor or recommending to the survivor that they expose the person publicly on social media, for example? Honestly, it's still just about asking what the person who was hurt wants, how they would best process their pain. Because to, to, to enforce some course of action on them it's to already take away some of their agency over what happened to them and what they felt you you really need to put the person who was hurt first i don't yes. think it is recommended to pressure them into a particular course of action i think also that like given that these survivors have been in situations where their own agency has been taken away from them. You know, their own power to over their own bodies has been taken away from them. I think one of the ways that we can help these survivors really get through a situation such as this is to help them have some sense of decision-making power over what happens thus forward. Like what Marco was saying, let the survivor decide now. Do you want this to be out in the public? Do you want this to be go, gone through court, you know? And sometimes, as friends of the, as friends or like as supporters of the survivor, it might frustrate us what they want to do. But at the end of the day, I think that the point here is to be able to be that support person, that supportive person, and let them gain their own decision making power. Yeah, because they trusted you enough with this information that's so fucking mm-hmm. that's fucking dark to them that they hold close that it's a fucking dark secret. That I think that you should respect it first. Um, my first instinct whenever whenever someone tells me their experience is not <laughs> not the cops. Uh, also, is are you okay? I mean, how are you feeling telling me this right now? Like, do you like need anything? Water, <laughs> or a pillow yeah. to hug, uh, something like that. It's 
you comfort the victim first because right now they just process the information like, oh, I just said this to a person who is affiliated with my abuser. And I never, never recommend like pressing charges because when I'm on my first-hand experience, I never really thought of going there because I don't want to relive it again. If you Google how to press charges and rape, it's a fucking circus. Like they'd tell you to like what uh, narrate the story one hundred times. What were you wearing? Were you drinking? What exactly? And the thing is, now that the story is coming to my mind, it's just like a script now. Like it was five p.m. on a fucking Tuesday. And I was wearing this. I was wearing that. I was completely sober. I was walking home. Something like that. And it's just hard to accept because I kind of believe that most people who, especially the ones who side with their with the abuser, that oh, if you think that your story is so true, why don't you press charges? I feel like they've never they've never been in a position where they needed to press charges for that kind of situation. Right. 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 <laughs> I agree with that. Like the entire process of pressing charges really dehumanizes the experience. You know, like it really takes away. You have to repeat this over and over. I remember the first time I had to write it down, bro, I was like bawling in the police station. Like I was bawling my eyes out. And the cops were just like, we have to get, we have to get out at five. Can you just write this down, please? And I'm like, bro, I'm trying, I will hold up, man. I gotta like, hold on, you know? And like, I remember. Like, my lawyer was even like, like, why didn't you fight that? You know? So, like, it's just a really, really crazy <laughs> process of really trying to, like, Jesus, dude. So, it's just really not the best course. I honestly feel, honestly, I just feel it's not the best course of action. Yeah. So, Patch mentioned something earlier where, you know, before even pressing charges or, hey, do you want to expose this person? The first thing you should really ask is, how are you doing? Like, yeah. because it it's not necessarily always about the next steps. Sometimes yeah. it's just taking care of this person in front of you right now. So right. what are some of the ways you think that uh, people whose friends have uh, done some very terrible things, how do you think they should comfort these people? Or like, what else can they do to offer their support? Give them a therapy number. <laughs> I really like Pat's point where she goes, the very first thing she asks is, are you okay? Yeah. Like, it drives Marco's point also Now you always put the survivor first. Diba? Mm. I think that was a really good one. That was a really interesting point that people should latch on to. I'd like to add, like, a friend taught me this um, a few months ago, but if somebody approaches you with some sort of very strongly emotional problem, it's always okay to ask, are you feeling solution-oriented? Do you want to process or do you want to just vent? Because you can't assume what they want to achieve by sharing this very intimate uh, experience with you. Put them first. Put their needs first. Talaga. Truly, truly. I agree with that. Because I feel like usually we have this idea that when someone comes to us with a problem, they immediately want advice. When is, when it's not, that's not always the case, you know? So I think that idea now, you ask them, what do you need from me right now? Do you need me to listen? Do you need me to tell you what to do? Do you need, to do you need me to help you? What do you need? I think is a very good way to process these things. So we have a comment here from Jobim. Hello, Jobim. Kawaii, kawaii. Uh, from anonymous, 
friend of mine, my rapist admitting what he did to me and apologizing was not as significant for me because I already knew he was a rapist. And after he admitted and apologized to me, he'd still be a rapist and he'd still get to live his life with nobody knowing. So this is a, about the conversation we had earlier where, you know, you want to get closure. Sometimes that closure doesn't really happen for you. Closure is a myth in a lot of ways. Closure does not happen externally. It doesn't happen because somebody apologized to you or someone you, you finally talked about the thing you were wanting to talk about. That's not what closure is. Closure, it happens internally. And sometimes what we think of closure never happens. That whole, you know, I'll forgive them and I'll let it go. That doesn't happen for a lot of people. And it doesn't have to. You know, it's really unfair that people are stuck with emotional trauma out of no fault of their own. And it was imposed mm -hmm. on them. So, uh, yeah. So a final word, on, I guess, on closure is that don't hold your breath for it. Um, it may not ever happen, especially not in the way that you expect. Um, all you can do is survive, continue surviving and trucking on, unfortunately, and trying to do your best. So uh, before this, we were talking about it's always a survivor first type of mentality. We also have another comment here from Nikki, who, by the way, won a giveaway last week. So he says, uh, along with making the rapist accountable, I think the survivor's healing should be as well prioritized. Because, yeah, it's the, the survivor is the one you have to care about. You don't have to care about the other person now um, who's probably doing okay. Their career is probably fine. Their reputation's probably fine, unfortunately. But the person you really need to care about is the person you're talking to. But... I guess the question remains here. Uh, we don't want this to happen to more women uh, or more people in general. We don't want, uh, even though these people go free and there are zero legal consequences, they're out there and they may do this again. So what do you guys think about potentially warning other people? This may be seen as exposing them, but how do we make sure that the people we already know are terrible don't have more victims? On my end, I made an appeal to the people who were still close with him because I knew at the very least they would respect what I had to say. At the same time, I have this personal policy that um, out of respect for the survivor, I won't go public about the information. But if you approach me in private, I'm not going to hide anything because... People who might get into vulnerable situations with the offenders, they need to know. They really do. That's, the, that's, that's part of your responsibility now as someone who has that knowledge, right? You need to hold your former friend accountable even indirectly. It's a responsibility. It's, it's, it's a duty as a decent human being. So... Yeah, I, I think it's safe to warn others. Um, again, keeping in mind what as the survivor would want. As long as they have consent want. with, like, to yes. tell them the story. Yeah. But yeah, I called him out on Twitter. <laughs> 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 anyway. <laughs> so about warning others, right? A bit of advice. Um, 
if you're going to go do that, and I suggest you do that, I think you also need to be prepared for the possibility that the asshole offender uses this to turn themselves into the victim. Because this has happened to me. They they have a tendency to do that. It's like, wow, (laughs) you can turn into a victim too? That's very Suddenly, I'm the person who's trying to like end their career (laughs) or cost them jobs or whatever. When I never went public, I never named names. All I did was be honest with people who asked me about it. But yeah. that's their fault. <laughs> they Plus, hurt their own a, careers. Yeah, it gives the warning others gives a domino effect. It makes mm-hmm. you, it sucks, but you'd know that if this person has, has been like, if it's, it's been like five people, and then when you, when you, warn others you'd you'd actually be surprised that there'd be more and then when you learn their stories like oh i'm not alone i mean it sucks but shit this asshole has to like be accountable Mm. for what he did and we could only wish like what social like consequences but they still have the possibility to start a new life you know and with victims we don't we just get therapy until we die (laughs) That's super unfortunate, really, that the person who did all these things often gets off scot-free because, you know, a lot of people aren't willing to come forward about their experiences. So we do have to respect that. Uh, It is just terrible that this continues. So it really is important for friends, uh, people who are constantly in contact with these abusers, to call them out. This is why it's so important, because they may not face any real consequences in the real world but they can at least face consequences in private with their friends um, who try to hold them accountable so I guess what we need to you know inform people about is what really the red flags are to spot in the friends because sometimes these things happen behind closed doors and you have no clue that your your friend is this type of person but sometimes they leave breadcrumbs as well. So what are the breadcrumbs that people should look out for and, you know, to know that they should keep a closer eye on this person? Okay, so in my case, there was a major blind spot on my part. And that is something I'm going to regret forever. But it kind of became a running gag in our circle of friends that he would try to get with anyone in our group. And he would try to be sly about it. And then there would be little stories that maybe he did something not cool, but then people would laugh it off. And that laughing off of all these little things, it was permissive. It let him up the ante on whatever he was doing. So a major red flag really is like, hey, if everybody in your friend group says that he's been creeping on them, but they're okay with it. It's not okay. It really isn't. Or, yeah. you know, um, my red flag was, he's just touchy. He's just friendly when he's drunk. Mm. Thing is, I mean, when you're drunk, <laughs> here we go again with the alcohol discourse. When you're drunk, you do things that, you know, inhibit your inner, I don't know, whatever animal you have like for me it's like just dancing to disco tits 
like unfortunately but yeah um when you when your like main um thing to do when you're drunk is touch people without their consent <laughs> that's already a red flag i don't care if you're a nice guy boundaries are so important and not really valued that much with some people so it's a really big issue especially among i'm sorry if i you know generalize here but a lot of straight male circles tend to have locker room talk. So I've had experiences before where I was in a group, a mixed group, and the men would have boys night and they would, I assume, talk about women. And I was privy to a little bit of this because I was an out bisexual person. So they thought they could joke with me about women. Like the, a hot woman would pass by and they'd be next to me and they'd, uh, they'd make a comment like, Oi, Trisha, what about that? And I'm like, okay, just because I also like women doesn't mean I'm okay with all of this going on, you know? So I was privy to that a little bit, but then they eventually realized that I was not okay with it. So they stopped making me privy to that. But this locker room talk, this talk between friends that quote unquote hurts no one because the per the object in question does not, because let's be clear, they do make the person in question an object. So uh, that person's out of earshot. So they feel free to say all these things in the confidence and security of their friend group. So how do we shut this locker room talk down? Is it really harmless? Like, can we let it fly? You know, I tried. <laughs> and and I guess this is a red flag, but like an overattachment to your all boys high school could be a red flag. Because um, I was part of this uh, alumni group. I used to go to LSGH, so all boys school. Um, I was part of this alumni group on Facebook. And this was around the time that they were talking about uh, finally having female students on campus. Right. And then there were a bunch of dirty old men, like engaging in locker room talk, saying, Oh, papaya gahong magkaroon ng female students on LSGH. And then they linked to like a porn star uniform. And I tried calling them out on this. I was like, Hey, guys, your fathers, you have daughters. You're talking right. about sexualizing high school students. Can you not? This is not okay. And then I got threat after threat from all the alumni. They're, the only people who, who stood by me were my generation or younger. But there were also people from my generation who were like, yeah, he's Marco's a tool. Like, boys should be allowed to have fun. And if that's the case, right, if we can see that so many older people still think this way, still engage in locker room talk. They were angry that there would be female students because that would change the dynamic of homecoming where they get all these like sexy dancers. They can't be maniac over them. I don't know how to fix that anymore. It's so deeply ingrained in their culture. But I do feel like from your example, how you said about like how the younger generations were backing you up, how people from your generation were backing you up. If we can't do anything about what's already here, we can do something about what, 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 about what's to come. And I think it's about giving a healthier model of masculinity or a healthier model of relationships, a healthier model of what consent is, of what, how to treat women. It's not like we were talking about the last, in the last um, episode, 
that whole hashtag protect drunk girls. Why can't it be just respect, not even girls, respect people in general just because they're human, you know? I think if we can't do anything about what's happening to who is already here, we can give healthier uh, models of what relationships are, of what masculinity is, of what, of what respect is to younger generations and to be examples of that rather than telling people na like, because honestly, like from the experience we've talked about now, like we've tried, like we've tried to tell people, don't do that, don't do this. If they won't listen, just I, I would honestly, for me, uh, I'd much rather na, if I can't tell you what to, what to do, I would rather be what I want to be because I'd rather show that and maybe then if they can show that maybe other people could also do it. And that's just me being idealistic, but you know. Yeah, so I think it's really important when you have people around you talking about women or, okay, let's be real. Uh, people of all sexualities and genders can be sexual offenders, sexual harassers, and rapists. We're not saying it's just men. But it is, a lot of it is rooted in toxic masculinity. A lot of it is rooted in the patriarchy, the entitlement to people's bodies, um, the excuses that we make for our friends, you know, like, oh, well, the other person was drunk or was a slut and it's really malande, so it's totally excusable. The more that you move the goalposts, the more that terrible people will try and meet those goals. So I guess the key is to really, like, nip it in the bud. Just the moment you, you see, like, a whiff of anything happening, like some gross locker room talk, your friend raiding women as they walk by, you know, these these are the small manifestations of that entitlement. So if you see that happening, the best way to counter it is to call them out. And if you tried calling them out a lot, do you think it's worth cutting people off as people who have cut people off for that very reason? So yeah, what do you think about cutting these people off from your life? Like, how do you think that's affected them? How do you think it's, Affecting people around them. Well, on my end, it was more like I didn't cut them off directly. I just let them fade away from my life. <laughs> you know, I, it wasn't a whole confrontation of you're gross. I'm never talking to you again. It's just, you know what? You can fall out of my life naturally. That's fine. I'm not going to try to maintain the friendship. Hatch, how about you? Do you have any thoughts on that? It was an ex. Um, I'm supposed to cut him off. <laughs> so yeah we've we've talked about so many things tonight um but i want i'm curious what is your like biggest insight tonight or your biggest takeaway from the discussion we've had uh patch why don't you start setting boundaries for yourself and as a victim and you know, acknowledging what happened. And second is not letting that get away again. For me, I did my part by, I don't know, so, oh God, I've said this like a million times in this podcast now. I suggested therapy to him. And then second, I consoled the victims in a way that, are you okay? Are you? And then third is cut off the people who, you know, are not good for you, who does not serve any purpose for you at this point anymore. 
because even though that you, for me, for, for in my case, they could, you know, be nice people, these friends, but they're still a part of his life, a life that he is building after what happened. So if that's okay with you, then good, good for you. But um, in some cases, like me, I think um, it's just me concentrating on my part with healing and, you know, just doing a support group every now and then. All right, Marco. So in my case, I got reminded again of no matter how big the problem you might think is, how big you might think the problem is, it's always bigger because like listening to you three, you've all had experience in the matter and that sucks because it's, it just goes to show that it's more common than people might assume. And that's something we need to fix culturally, socially. Why do so many people have these horrible experiences? Why are we allowing this to keep happening to so many people? We need to, we need to fix the fuck up. <laughs> I don't know. We need to get better. You guys also pointed out that the best way to address this really is to nip it in the bud, start early. Like We have to give up on certain generations. Let's focus on the younger ones. Yeah, I think um, just you know controlling things that you can control and control not like minding things that you can't control. I think that's what gives you some kind of peace somehow. I agree with that. All right, Kai, what's your takeaway from today's episode? My greatest takeaway is highlighting the survivor's healing process over the abuser. I feel as though a lot of the times we would pretty much talk about the horrific aspects of the abuser but we all we we don't seem to like um highlight how we could be of help to survivors so i think i i that's something that was driven that, that was a point that was driven to me tonight so i guess personally my takeaway would be really just how important it is for friends to call out people in their social circle because a lot of these things happen without other people knowing. So social media isn't going to call you out or call this friend out. Perhaps um, their, you know, their family is going to stand behind them. So if you want your friend to change their behavior, that starts with you, as Patch said, setting your boundaries, uh, making them know that what they did is wrong. And I guess if they still don't budge and they won't listen to any form of reason and refuse to work on themselves, then cutting them off is a totally viable solution because as much as you want to be responsible for your friends, that is not your goal in life. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is you and your energy and the people around you. So uh, if you're expending too much energy on one person and they refuse to help themselves, do what you need to do to cleanse your juju, I guess. And, but also, you know, try still very hard to make sure that these people don't hurt uh, more people in the future, but you can only do so much. So know your limits and take care of yourself as well. If this is happening around you. 
This is like a really super awkward transition to the next segment, but we're also trying to, I guess, promote some, you know, for our customers listening in to try new things and improve their sex lives. So we have a weekly sex assignment uh, that we ask all of our customers listening in right now and our guests as well to try. Who knows? Maybe it'll make your life slightly happier. If not, well, you tried. Thank you. So this is called Sex Homework. This is care of our ghost co-host right now, Joe Bim. Uh, his sex assignment for everyone is try a new kink. Whether with a partner or yourself on the internet, just try something you've never attempted. It may end up as your actual repertoire. You may end up liking it. Or you'll just come out of the experience with a deeper understanding of yourself. And I guess that's really what we're trying to do on this podcast. Promote more self-awareness so that you can make better choices and be better people to the people around you. So try a new kink in the next week and make sure to tell us in the comments on next week's episode how that went. Okay, so um, our guests, would you like to promote anything? Uh, your social media, upcoming artistic endeavors we should support. Patch, would you like to go first? My boss is watching this right now and has a gun to my head if I didn't say this. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> if you want your uh, cleaning services for your home to avoid COVID, uh, please book Clinical <laughs> Laguna. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. Okay. Okay, <laughs> Hello, Patch's boss. Hi. Uh, Marco, would you like to promote any socials or DSM? Well, despite the topic matter, I'm actually a sex comedian. <laughs> I co-founded a sex comedy sketch group called Deus Ex Machina. We do four shows a year. We have an upcoming show on March 20 and 21. It's going to be sexy comedy stories that work around the theme of discovery. So we'll be having people discover new kinks, people discovering what to do when their sex drives are dead, uh, discovering what happens when you have a sexting surrogate. And it's all going to be very funny and very sex positive as well because we try to make our comedy uh, into teaching moments. So you can catch the show on March 20 and 21 on our Facebook page, uh, Deus Sex Machina. I think our URL is slash Deus PH. And what you do is super in line, or what your show is going to be is super in line with our sex assignment this week. <laughs> it's so And don't worry, Marco. We will 100% uh, promote DSM on this show because we love what you do. Especially the fact that you stress consent above all else and safety for not just the people in your group, but the people watching your shows. So everyone tune in. We'll make sure to promote those shows when they come out and make sure to follow Deus Ex Machina on Facebook and check out Clinico Laguna for your cleaning, your COVID cleaning needs. <laughs> do you do anything in Mandaluyong? Because I think I need a proper deep. Oh, they, they have a branch there. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, perfect. Okay, so hi. Do you want to promote any of your socials? That's XOXCAI on Twitter and Instagram. Trisha? Okay, so I'm at Trisha <laughs> on Twitter. 
And, uh, but more importantly, you don't have to follow me there. Please just make sure to follow Now Open on all of our channels. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Now Open PH. Uh, we also have a Discord community if you want to talk about the episode or, you know, any other random sexuated topics like BDSM or polyamory or whatever. We also have a channel on our Discord for survivor support. So, if you want to build a community and, uh, you know, talk to other people with similar experiences, get advice or just vent, uh, that is a really good place to do it. Uh, we're all here for you. And if you want to support us and keep the podcast running, I left a link in the comments to our coffee. Uh, we want to create more content like this for y'all. But obviously, we need money to do so because we live in a capitalist society. So make sure... Uh, if you if you can, you can subscribe at our coffee. Uh, the link is in the comments and it's up there on the screen. Yeah, so I think uh, Jobim can promote his socials in the comments as well because I don't remember his handles. Thank you everyone who stayed for today's show. Uh, thank you so much to our guests. It was an amazing conversation. I guess it was just before we wrap up, I want to promote the next episode. So next episode, we're going to talk about something, uh, a little bit of a break from the serious topics, but something we feel like is important anyway for most people. We're going to be talking about how to fight in a really healthy way. So if you're in a relationship and you kind of want to figure out how to handle disagreements with your partner without blowing up at each other and breaking up, make sure to tune into next week's episode. We'll be discussing some really healthy coping strategies and anger management. Yay. Yay. We all need a little bit of that. All right. Well, thank you again and see you when we next open.